the selector called me over and said to me, do you not know how to discipline your horse? I said, mm. what? <laughs> he said, do you not know how to discipline your horse when he does something wrong? I said, I might go home and work on my training program now that he's not the rails. He said, no. He said, give me your whip. From performanceriders.com, this is The Collectives, where we ever so gently put aside the training and the experts just for a little while and focus on some real talk with riders from the equestrian community. As riders, when we work with a coach or a trainer, we're really sometimes putting ourselves in a vulnerable position and we trust that that coach or trainer will act in a professional and respectful manner and treat us riders with some dignity. Most coaches and trainers are wonderful, but unfortunately there's always a small minority like in any part of life that make it really difficult and end up treating their riders, their students in a disrespectful and sometimes abusive way. Originally, this podcast episode was recorded with two riders who told their stories about dealing with toxic behaviours from a coach or trainer. Sadly, we've made the decision just now to delete from this episode one of those interviews. That particular rider shared a powerful story about a program, an equestrian program she's currently involved in that has a very unhealthy relationship um, between the coach and some of the students. Because that program is ongoing and because the rider needs to continue to try to be involved in that program in some way in order to reach her goals, we've decided that the risk of identifying the rider and the coach is too great. And so we have deleted that recording from this episode but however we are going ahead with rider two who's still not identified and she's talking about an incident or incidences that happened some years ago so I hope you enjoy the episode if I may say enjoy there are some you know strong themes in here and no doubt some issues of power play that you may relate to yourself let's get stuck in. So my experience was when I was a young rider. Uh, it was quite a number of years ago now. Uh, it was in a different discipline. I used to event and, and there was an open, basically an open casting call for anybody whose uh, horse that you felt that your horse um, had potential or that maybe you had potential to ride at a higher level. And you had to apply and your horse had to basically be competing and have had a certain number of qualifications. And so my horse and I, we applied, we'd been working very hard. I'd been encouraged to apply for this particular program. So we we really excited to uh, be invited along. And day one was dressage and my horse really stood out in dressage. He was lovely. Um, I'd been told that he had all the things that they would look for in the dressage side of things. And that was certainly the case. He performed beautifully. Uh, both of the selectors uh, made a big fuss at the end of his dressage test and I knew we'd done really well. So 
ended day one, absolutely, you know, tick, 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 yeah. feeling great. We didn't have to do any cross country because we'd already achieved uh, the levels that they'd wanted us to achieve. And day two was a show jumping test in front of two extremely, extremely powerful selectors. Right. And so we went along. The day had been running a little bit late. My horse was a bit agitated. We'd been standing around for a long time um, waiting for our turn. And then it was my turn and he jumped. He jumped fine. It really wasn't great. He knocked two rails um, and the selector called me over and said to me, do you not know how to discipline your horse? I said, what? (laughs) He said, do you not know how to discipline your horse when he does something wrong? And I said, well, He only knocked two rails. I said, I might go home and change my lines and work on my grids and encourage him to snap up his legs and work on my training program now that he's knocked the rails. He said, no. He said, give me your whip. And I said, "Uh, okay. (laughs) So I passed him my whip and he said, I want you to hitch a horse. And I said, what? And he said, do you know how to hitch a horse? And I said, well, if I was cross-country and there was a life-and-death situation, he wasn't listening to me, I might give him a bit of a tap behind my leg. Yeah. He said, no, I want you to take your whip right now and I want you to hitch a horse the way you hitch a horse. Oh, and I said, oh. right. And this is in front of a lot of people. There's mm-hmm. probably a 100 people at this at this day and... And you're just standing, like you're just standing there? and he was Just standing, there? just standing oh. in, in front of him. Um, oh. And I said, oh, uh, this was a real ethical dilemma, you know, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> um, so being the young rider, I, I don't come from a, a horsey family. I don't come from a high-performance family. I've never had exposure to high-performance or the expectations or a squad environment or anything like that. And you're 23 years old, you do what you're told. So I picked up my whip and I showed him how I would give my horse a reminder behind the leg. And he said, nope, harder. I said, what? He said, do it harder. Did it harder. He said, nope, do it again, harder. I said, I'm hitting him as hard as I can. He said, do it again and do it harder. My horse was jumping across the side he has never experienced anything like this it is not my philosophy Mm. in how to train he said give me a whip so he took my whip and he hit himself on the leg with the intensity that he wanted me to hit my horse and i cannot convey how hard that was there is no way a i would never want to do it Mm. but there is no way that i could ever actually do what he was asking me to do and he handed my whip back to me and he said, if you can't, I'm trying to, the exact words, they've really stuck with me. If you can't discipline your horse how I want and when I want, you have no place on any squad of mine. Oh, wow. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do? I, I didn't know what to say. So uh, I turned around and left. My turn was over. And um, went back to my float, completely shell-shocked. Just didn't know what to think. I was so distressed for my horse to have gone through that. He was just 
beside himself, as you can imagine. And I was beside myself and it, I just didn't know what to do. I went home and as Ryder One said, you know, she doesn't cry. I I don't cry. Mm. I cried. I absolutely bawled my eyes out the whole way home at night when I got home. And my parents were not horsey, as I said before. They they had no idea what to do with me. Yeah. No idea. And it just it really undermined what am I doing this for? What what is this high performance world? Is this what it is? Is is this what I'm doing? I'm training to compromise my horse. Is is this what goes on in the secretive world of high performance? And I just it completely made me feel vulnerable and being newly exposed to this environment I I didn't know what to do with it I didn't know where to take it and I didn't know if I wanted to keep doing the sport anymore Mm. so what did you do (sighs) that's a good question like it really has impacted but I really backed away from eventing And it led me to dressage, so that's a positive thing. (laughs) Uh, Because I didn't understand, like, why why am I training to event at a high level if it's not going to, if you're not going to be rewarded, if you're not going to be told you're doing a good job, if you're not going to be encouraged. Um, I just found that I backed away also from any high-level coaches. Mm -hmm. I really pulled away from seeking out coaching from anybody that was a high-level professional because I couldn't trust what they were going to ask me to do. Yeah. Uh, and so I sort of, I was at the point in my career where I was young, I was like, oh, I could have stayed in, a, in an office job or maybe, you know, I had a few people that were saying to me, oh, would you like to ride my horse, take on a couple of rides, could have gone over into the professional world and stuck to the corporate world and continued my life with horses alongside work. And um, it was a real sliding doors moment for where I would go in the industry and in my life. Did you keep eventing at all? Uh, I evented for about another year mm-hmm. afterwards, I think, but I, I'd lost my, like I, I lost my enjoyment for it, completely mm. lost my enjoyment for it. What, what did what were other people's well you don't know what they're thinking but what were they saying well, and how were they reacting so this was the thing because I didn't know what to make of it I was I really wanted to understand what was the point of that mm. what was the point um it had no benefit to the situation at the time and it certainly had no benefit was, was he trying to say to me you know you will do what I asked because it's it's a squad and it's high performance and this is what you do, you do what you're told, but surely there are better ways to make a young rider understand the types of things that they will have to sacrifice to be in a team environment or was it just an ego thing? So I I sneakily booked a lesson for the week after with the other selector that was there. And she knew of my horse from being around the traps and I thought I might ask her about it. So I had a lesson with her, a jumping lesson, and I said, well, you saw what happened last weekend. Uh, Do you have any insight into that? And she wouldn't say a word. She said, let's have our lesson. (laughs) 
And the horse jumped really well because he wasn't asked to do anything like Mm. that. So what was Uh, your take on her reaction? I think she, being part of the high-performance environment, she has to be quiet. So she wasn't in a position to be able to comment on whether she thought it was right or wrong. It's Brett Parbury here, and I just wanted to pop in and say that if you're enjoying this conversation, you might like to head over to performancewriters.com slash podcast, where we list free training resources just for our podcast audiences. Find out what's available now at performancewriters.com slash podcast. And now back to the episode. And so do you feel like that could still happen now? Or do you feel like that was sort of a time and place and that wouldn't be accepted now? I know that this particular individual is no longer involved in high performance and there I have heard that there are there are many other situations that were very similar and worse. Mm. Right. Um I I don't know. I I have some limited exposure to high performance these days, but it still seems to be a very secretive world and um, I haven't chased that because I came out of the whole situation just knowing that no matter at what level I rode in the future, I just wanted to enjoy my horse and enjoy the training and enjoy being with encouraging people who are like-minded and we're all there for each other. Mm. And that is something that I know a lot of people are trying to foster, always foster in in this sport and I think it's really important there are there's a lot of ego and as Ryder One said you know some people don't notice enough to know that they have impact on you and you just want to be told that you're doing a good job and yeah you you want to feel good about what what you do because it's a beautiful sport and they're beautiful animals so Mm, that's right well, and what are your thoughts about the um, culture in the eventing world that you experienced and what you've experienced in the dressage world? See, this was the thing. In the eventing world at the time, I had a lot of really lovely friends and we all had a great time. So for me, the experience that I had at that event was a little incongruous with the yeah. team environment that I experienced with my friends. You know, everybody was always there for each other. You walk the cross-country course together, you help each other because how you ride a cross-country course isn't going to affect how the next rider rides a cross-country course. You're on different horses. Like, mm-hmm. if things go wrong, you get hurt. And so everybody was always there to help with advice. And why don't you try this? And why don't you try that? And I've seen your horse do this. Like, you should try this. You should try that. And it was really encouraging, actually, at the events. And it was a really lovely community. And I, I do find, or I did find when I switched to dressage originally, that that was definitely lacking. There was very much, a, I do what I do and I don't impart my knowledge and we're competitors. Yeah. And there wasn't a lot of that. I mean, you can write a dressage test after me and I can tell you how to write a flying change or a half pass. It's not going to affect how you write your flying change and your half pass. Like you're not yeah. going to give away any secrets five minutes before I go into the arena. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of the efforts made nowadays are really trying to embrace that, that we're all in it together. Yeah. And I think it's so important. Share the knowledge, mm. enjoy while we're out there and foster a real community because it's so important, especially with a lot of young riders coming through. They, I feel like 
thank God it wasn't like a social media age when this happened. So all these, all these kids these days, they have so many pressures on them. At the very least, when they have their first exposure to success or to high performance, that they have support around them mm. from their parents, from their friends, from their coaches, because mm. that didn't exist in my situation. What if that were, that was a little while back for you? What if you were in that situation again today? How would you handle that? You've got me thinking there. Uh, <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to think that no one would be put in that situation again and there are reasons why this particular individual was removed from, ultimately removed from high performance, um, despite being a very successful person. As writer one said, it would be, it, it's hard to sort of think what you would do but I think my approach to going into a high performance environment now would be a little different I wouldn't be afraid to ask so many questions I probably would have said why do I need to do this now what why why do I need to do it I'm not afraid in my old age to ask a question no matter if it's stupid or if it's not so as Ryder One said, I would encourage anybody who is in a toxic relationship with a coach to get out. And if they are being asked to do something, don't be afraid to question it because there might be 10 other people who want to question it as well, but don't have the guts to do it. Exactly. So I think question it and it's the start of holding somebody accountable and it's the start of change because if you don't, then it won't change at all. Mm. Um, and I think the wider sport has a lot that they could do uh, for riders. So, you know, we have Equestrian Australia and all of our state bodies and local bodies. And I, I see resources being thrown at high performance programs. But in this modern day of age with Zoom, mm-hmm. you know, they have rider psychology programs. Why can't those rider psychology programs be open to every member? Why can't yeah. there be... Um, you know, info sessions that the average bear can join? Why do we have to be high performance to be able to have access to that within our own sport? Yeah. And I think even mentoring programs for kids who don't come from horsey families, for parents who can learn how to support their child in a, in a sporting environment, and in particular a sport like ours that is five minutes in the arena, mm. 23 hours and 55 minutes out of the arena. Mm. every day um so that everybody knows what we're all aiming for and then mm. we all feel like we have something behind us yeah some great points there and i think also what that level of education perhaps can achieve is to help riders understand that the toxic behavior from coaches is not normal and not acceptable mm. um mm. i think there can be a bit of a culture in the sport where well that's just what it is they're very hard they're very you know it's almost celebrated a little bit um and it it really doesn't need to be that way and I think riders hearing your stories it will be really valuable for them um to hear that and hear that other people also don't feel comfortable in these situations you know it's it's not okay uh and it's not accepted and I think Further to that, uh, it's important to note that, like you said, Natalie, most people aren't like that and it's not okay. But it only takes, as Ryder said, it only takes one time to be 
to, to be in a position where you feel that vulnerable and it can overshadow all of the good experiences that you've had. And I think for me, and maybe for, for Rider One, uh, that's certainly been the case. You know that you're training beautifully with your horse, but it only takes one person to undo all of that in your head. And you can have 10 other coaches come in immediately after that and say, don't worry about it. Your horse is great. You're doing really well. But you heard that once and that cuts really deep. That's it, exactly. Mm-hmm. Thank you both so much for sharing your stories. Really thought-provoking um, and, uh, yeah, a lot to think about in there in terms of, yeah, what we accept um, in the sport in general, really, and, and how we can keep improving um, and improving everybody's experience and encouraging everybody to stay in the sport and enjoy it. 